Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the podcast guests and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Decisive Point welcomes Colonel George Schatzer, Director of the Strategic Research and Analysis Department in the Strategic Studies Institute at the U.S. Army War College. Schatzer's the author of SRAD Director's Corner, and in this issue, he focuses on North Korea and the Kim family regime. In your SRAD Director's Corner series, you review books of possible interest to contemporary military strategists, especially those serving in U.S. Army and joint positions. The fall issue contains the third installment of this series and focuses on North Korea. Thank you for being here. Well, and thanks for asking me back. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. You previously profiled security challenges from China and Russia. Why did you choose to focus on North Korea this time? Well, honestly, it's partly out of personal interest and experience. As I briefly mentioned in the article, I was the plans director or the G5 for the U.S. 8th Army in South Korea during the time of the last serious confrontation with North Korea in 2017. The North had conducted a nuclear test that year with numerous tests of missiles that are capable of hitting the United States. And there was also that war of words fought partly on Twitter between President Trump and the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Tensions were very high, and all the U.S. services under U.S. Forces Korea were rapidly building combat readiness for a potential armed conflict with the North. And I also chose Korea as the topic this time because I believe that the Korean security situation will increasingly be the key to U.S. security overall in East Asia, likely bound up with the security threat posed by the People's Republic of China or or the PRC. I was struck by how many layers there are to the problem of North Korea. You suggest, I think, that a key aspect of that problem is the unique nature of the regime in North Korea. Definitely. The Kim family regime, as many call it, really is a strange animal. Nominally, its ideology is based in communist doctrine, or at least its own version of it. But it also follows a hereditary succession model, which is an anthema to communist teachings. Then there is the cult of personality aspect that elevates the Kim leaders to being nearly divine. And they have a worldview heavily colored by a sense of racial superiority while also subscribing to a doctrine of self-sufficiency or juche because they view themselves as constantly under attack. And finally, there is this added aspect of hatred toward Japan and pride in fighting as guerrillas to end the Japanese occupation of Korea at the end of World War II. It's easy as outsiders for us to look at all these characteristics of the Kim family regime and dismiss it all as kind of mere show or propaganda. And much of what the regime says is grossly inflated and skewed. But that doesn't mean it's completely empty or that these views don't have real effect on how they think and plan and act. The Kim family regime genuinely believes that they are the only legitimate government in Korea and that the entire peninsula should be united under their rule and that nuclear weapons are the means to ensure their survival. So North Korea is rational then? Oh yes, and both of the authors of the books I reviewed arrive at that same conclusion. There really is little doubt that the Kim family regime has, since its rise to power in 1948, been consistently rational in judging their situation and threats to it, in devising strategies and plans to deal with those threats, and then using cunning brutality to execute operations. It's played Russia and the People's Republic of China off of each other to its benefit time and again, and it's held the U.S. and the rest of the international community at bay for decades. For its entire history, the regime has steered this small, isolated, and impoverished country to the cusp of possessing a nuclear weapons capability that can strike the United States. I mean, a truly irrational group just would not be able to accomplish that. 
How does Pac's book, Becoming Kim Jong-un, inform this topic? Pac's book is especially important because it attempts to do what I think so many other works on Kim Jong-un specifically fail to do, and that is provide a comprehensive assessment of Kim as his own man. There is a tendency to regard Kim as just the third dictator in the line of the dynasty. Pac does a great job of explaining Kim's unique perspective and attributes, particularly his youth, his charisma, his keen understanding of how to adapt the regime to modern challenges, such as the growth of a nascent market economy in North Korea and the increasing availability of outside information to the citizens there. Unfortunately, her assessment is that Kim is perhaps more arrogant and hence more dangerous than his father or grandfather. She argues that Kim has observed how the U.S. was willing to bargain with North Korea, but it was unwilling to go to war with it. At least that's his view. And now that Kim has developed a viable nuclear deterrent and has confidence in China's backing, he could well be more emboldened to take increasingly aggressive actions to undermine the U.S.-South Korea alliance. Some readers might be surprised by your suggestion in the article that North Korea might risk attacking U.S. forces. Why do you think that's a real possibility? The Kim family regime is hypersensitive, paranoid almost, about their security, and they run a country that is very poor and lacks in fundamental security in many ways. So there will always be numerous possible drivers for aggressive behavior that might appear. Natural and man-made disasters in North Korea, perceptions of political discord in South Korea, or divisions in the U.S.-South Korea alliance, perceived slights toward it by the U.S. or South Korea, or just plain opportunism. Many people today may not remember that North Korea attacked and seized a U.S. Navy research and surveillance ship in 1968, or that they shot down a U.S. Navy reconnaissance plane in 1969, killing the entire crew of 31 U.S. service members. Doubtless, North Korea's decision to execute both those attacks was influenced heavily by their assessment that the U.S. was tied down in the Vietnam War at the time, and the U.S. would not want to open a new conflict in Korea. But imagine today if the U.S. were involved in a major conflict in the region or elsewhere, and North Korea has nuclear weapons. A limited attack on U.S. or even South Korean forces, like with the sinking of the Navy Corvette Chonan in 2010, that would really put the U.S. in a no-win situation. It would be faced with potentially having to restrain a South Korean response, its own desire to punish North Korea, but while also facing the real risk of escalation with a nuclear state. There just aren't good options for the U.S., and North Korea knows this. What does Shin's book, Rationality in the North Korean Regime, say about U.S. options to deal with North Korean provocations? Like Pak, Shin makes many of the same sensible recommendations that are very common. Maintaining strong U.S. alliances in the region, especially with South Korea and Japan, and continuing to use economic sanctions and diplomatic pressure to constrain Kim Jong-un's resources and options. There's pretty broad agreement that those things are necessary, but we've seen now for decades that those tools have not been enough to stop North Korea from developing nuclear weapons or changing really any other major aspect of the Kim family regime's behavior. So now that North Korea does have nuclear weapons, it seems the U.S. is faced with a choice of purposefully seeking to overthrow the regime in North Korea or to accept it as a nuclear power. And Shin argues for the latter, learning to coexist with North Korea. He suggests that the U.S. should seek to restart negotiations and attempt military confidence building to normalize relations, including with Russia and the People's Republic of China. Given all the conflict tensions right now with Ukraine and Taiwan, that seems highly unlikely in the near future. I should note, in fairness to Shin, that he published the book a few years ago, well before the current geostrategic situation. 
Despite how unpalatable it might be to accept North Korea as a nuclear state, I think most would agree that attempting to overthrow the Kim family regime is infeasible for numerous reasons. Military action to do this would almost certainly invite PRC military intervention. Subversive action would likely be ineffective as the regime has demonstrated for several decades that it remains in firm control. And even if someone did rise up and seize power in North Korea, there's no guarantee that that person would be any less dangerous or more acceptable to the U.S. It sounds then like the U.S. is stuck with a nuclear North Korea. Is this why you say Korea is the key to security in East Asia? That's certainly one reason, yes. Barring some major disruption or revolutionary event, North Korea is likely to persist as a nuclear nation, and that fundamentally alters the security dynamics of the region and beyond. Not only does North Korea have the potential to coerce others far beyond what it should be able to, but the PRC now has a nuclear weapons capable ally, something the United States does not even have in the region. If the PRC and North Korea were to collude strategically during a crisis or conflict, that could greatly constrain the U.S. and or its allies. Additionally, South Korea, I think, will be increasingly important as an ally for the U.S. and security issues beyond the Korean Peninsula and really across the region, or at least the potentials there, I think. South Korea already has the 10th largest economy in the world and continues strong growth this year despite inflationary pressures. It is a major exporter of consumer and durable goods. It has tremendous cultural influence around the world with the TV and movie industry, as well as popular music. If people aren't aware of that, ask somebody in their 20s or their teens about BTS and K-pop or about K-dramas. Also, perhaps not well known, is that South Korea has become one of the world's leading arms exporters. South Korea expects defense exports over 10 billion U.S. dollars this year, with more growth coming. And South Korea is rapidly expanding its space program, having just launched a lunar orbiter. With already a 70-year history of close U.S.-South Korean relations, it seems likely that the relationship will be increasingly important to the U.S. Putting all these factors together, I think Korea, both North and South, now reaches well beyond just the peninsula and could have an effect on East Asian security on par with that of the other major regional powers. Final thoughts? In the article, I say that the People's Republic of China and North Korea are a package deal, that the U.S. won't face either state alone when dealing with security issues. When the U.S. is dealing with one, it'll be forced to at least consider and probably deal with the other. I don't mean to say that the PRC and North Korea have perfect relations or that the PRC can dictate terms to North Korea, but the PRC views North Korea as vital to its own security and the Kim family regime will remain heavily dependent on the PRC for support. As we watch the ratcheting up of tensions across the Taiwan Strait recently, any U.S. response to a conflict there will have to account for North Korea and not just the PRC. Thanks so much for your time and for your insight. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Well, thanks for the opportunity to discuss this today. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about the Kim family regime and what Zhong H. Pak and David W. Shin bring to the conversation, visit press.armywarcollege.edu. Look for volume 52, issue 3. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, look for us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other major podcast platform.